This week, and especially this morning, I have been praying that God the Holy Spirit would do a mighty work in my life and in the life of our congregation. And God, uh, in beautiful answer to his prayers, uh, has reunited me, not only with old friends, friends who I've not seen in many, many years, and new friends who I've met for the very first time. I think a little that's going to be a little bit like what heaven is going to be like Uh, When we meet old friends that we have not seen in 28 years or 30 years or 58 years and other friends uh, who we're meeting for the very first time, what a joy it is that we get to experience a a little slice of that heaven every week on the Lord's Day. Amen? Well, we're continuing our series through the book of John, and we pick up our reading in John chapter 15. We're going to read verses 1 through 17. This is God's word, John 15, verses 1 through 17. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like the branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. For by, by this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is God's word. Let's go to him now in prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would speak to us through your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we might indeed 
abide in you and that we might bear much fruit, that we might be a blessing to our friends and neighbors, that we might be a blessing to one another, that we might be a blessing to this world. I thank you, Lord God, that you have loved us and that you have engrafted us into Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord God, that you would make that reality more real to us than anything else this morning and that you would strengthen us, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I will never forget the day when my wife Kate brought home 50 pounds of peaches. 50. 5-0. Now, I'm not a math scientist, but I did the math, and that amounts to 12.5 pounds of fruit for every single member of my family. For a month, a month that felt like a year. We ate peaches for every single meal. Peach jam, peach cobbler, peach pancakes, peaches and cream, peach salsa. You name it, we put peaches on it, in it, or around it. We had so many peaches that we gave some to my mom and dad. We gave some to our neighbors. If you were fortunate enough to receive a dinner invite to the Trike household in July of 2015, I promise you that we served you peaches for that meal. We had so much fruit that we didn't know what to do with it. Now, I think that that's a fitting metaphor for the Christian life. I think God wants to produce so much spiritual fruit in our lives that we don't know what to do with it. I think God wants to produce so much fruit in our lives that we simply have to give it away to other people, to our friends, our family members, our other students at school, our co-workers, waiters, waitresses, patients, clients. You get the idea. In a sense, that's really what the Old Testament is all about. According to Isaiah 5 and Psalm 80 and various passages in the book of Ezekiel, God planted his people like a vineyard. He made them fruitful so that they could bless the other nations. He made them fruitful so that they could taste and see that God is good. Unfortunately, if you know your Old Testament, you know that that didn't happen. Instead of producing good fruit, the people of Israel produced bad fruit. They became a dead, lifeless nation, a tumbleweed nation, completely dry and brittle, unable to bless the other nations. And as a consequence, God uprooted them from the promised land. They were exiled to Babylon where they lived as strangers and aliens in a place that they didn't know. You can almost hear echoes of Israel's history in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into a fire and burned. 
Now, thankfully, that's not the end of Israel's story, and it's not the end of our story. Jesus came to this earth to a land that he did not know. He became an exile like the people of Israel so that we might become fruitful again. He came to give us everlasting and abundant life by engrafting us into him. Theologians call this union with Christ. Pastor Sean talked about it last week. Verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So the question is, how do we abide in Christ? What does Jesus mean when he talks about fruit and fruitfulness? You'll notice that Jesus used those words, fruit and fruitfulness, eight times in these 17 verses. So obviously, it's important. According to Jesus, if we abide in him, we will produce fruit. And if we're not abiding in Jesus, we won't produce fruit. And if we're not producing fruit, we'll be cut down and thrown into the fire, which is a not-so-thinly-veiled reference to hell. So obviously, we have to understand what Jesus is saying here. This is not just a kind of a live and let live, agree to disagree issue. This is an eternal life, heaven or hell issue. So the stakes in what Jesus is saying here could not be higher than they are. So what is Jesus saying Well, in the Bible, spiritual fruit always has to deal with with our character. Our character is who we are when no one else is looking. At the risk of, of mixing metaphors, our character is the juice that comes out of us when we're squeezed. Now, if you grew up going to Sunday school, you probably memorized the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5. Love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and of course, self-control. In my Sunday school class, which was apparently a very successful class since I'm a pastor now, we used to cut out little construction paper apples and oranges and tape them to little construction paper trees so that we would have a visual reminder of what the Christian life of fruitfulness is supposed to look like. If I remember correctly, patience looked like a peach, which just shows that God has a sense of humor. When Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches, he was saying, not in me, not only can you have new life, you have tremendous potential for growth and change. In me, you can become a new person. In me, you can become great. In the vine, cowards become heroes. In the vine, the weak become strong. In the vine, the cheap become generous. And the stern become gregarious. In Jesus, the guilty are forgiven and set free from our condemnation, from our alienation, from our prejudices, our addictions, our doubts, and our fears. 
Galatians 5.19, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, divisions, dissensions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, and this is huge, verse 24, those who belong to Jesus Christ, those who abide in the vine, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, fruitfulness is all about Jesus. It's about who he is and what he did for us on the cross. Jesus was nailed to an old dead tree so that we might be engrafted into a living vine, a vine that gives life to everyone who believes. So again, how does that happen? How does that that work? How do you know if you're abiding in the vine? Well, today we're going to talk about how we grow, how we change, how we become more fruitful, Christ-like people, how we abide in Jesus and begin to bear fruit. Now, there's a lot that we could talk about in this passage. There's whole areas where we're not going to cover, but I I brought it down to three big ideas that I think are very important for us to understand if we want to be fruitful people, people who abide in Christ. Now, if you're a note taker, you want to jot these down, here they are. Three things. First big idea, we grow organically, not mechanically. We grow organically, not mechanically. Second, we grow by abiding in Jesus. And third, we grow as God the Father prunes us. So we grow organically, not mechanically. We grow as we abide in Jesus. We'll talk about what that is, what that means. And then we grow as God the Father prunes us. Are you ready? All right, let's take a closer look. We begin with our first big idea, which is this. We grow organically, not mechanically. Now, often when we try to grow or change, we look for outside-in solutions to our problems. Most self-help books and uh, YouTube videos will teach us that if we want to be more fruitful people, if we want to live a life that matters, if we want to grow or change, we have to find mechanical solutions to our problems. Cold plunges and push-up challenges and meditation and mindfulness and manifestation. No alcohol for 30 days. No caffeine for 30 minutes. <laughs> I've not yet made it that far. No sugars, no grains. Become a vegan. Become a carnivore. Take the vaccine. Don't take the vaccine. Did it just get quiet in here? Because I... I Seems a little bit quiet in here. The idea, whether it's coming from Brene Brown or Anthony Huberman or Jordan Peterson or Marie Kondo, is that growth happens through hard work and discipline. Now, are some of these strategies helpful? Yes, of course. There's helpful things in all these self-help strategies, but the problem is they're only addressing the symptoms, 
they're not really getting to the root of the problem. Self-help and motivation can never really get to the root of the problem because the root of the problem is sin. The root of the problem is that we don't love the way God loves and we don't love other people the way God loves us. All these outside-in solutions never work because we have an inside-out problem. The problem is not out there to be fixed with different behaviors. The problem is in here. And because the problem is in here, the only thing that can change is when Jesus changes our hearts. Our hearts are sinful. Our affections are disordered. And so... We have a terrible problem that needs to be changed from the inside out. Again, that's the message Jesus has in our passage today. When you are united to Jesus by faith, the life of God flows into you through him. And as the life of God flows into you through him, the life of God begins to flow out of you to other people in worship and in fellowship through the Holy Spirit. That's how we grow and change. Jesus is reminding us that at its core, Christianity isn't a moral code. It isn't a philosophy. It's not even a mystical religious experience. It's a real, intimate, vital, organic connection to Jesus, the Son of God. The only way to escape entropy and death spiritually and socially and psychologically and relationally is to have the life of God flowing through your veins. Now, because that's true, it's an organic process. That means two very practical things. Christian growth is often slow. That's the bad news. It doesn't happen overnight. But the good news is that Christian growth is inevitable. It's slow, but it's inevitable. When it comes to the Christian life, there is no such thing as instant growth. You can't plant a seed, come back an hour later, and reap the harvest. Nobody ever says, would you like a glass of wine? I planted the grapes this morning. That's not a thing. It just doesn't work that way. Christian growth is organic, and organic growth takes time. I remember back when I was in elementary school, we were given a science project. It was our very first science project. And the science project, we were to take a little seed, and then we were to put that seed in a tiny styrofoam cup, and then we were to put that styrofoam cup by the window in order for us to eventually make some sort of scientific observations, like, wow, Again, we were in elementary school. This was not high-level botany here. So I remember getting so excited. I planted the seed. I put it on the shelf. I waited for it to grow. And every day, I would think to myself, I'm going to see some growth today. Today's the day where I finally see the growth in the seed that I have planted. probably grew last night. And then every day, which seemed like forever, all I saw was a cup of dirt. Until one day, I came to my little styrofoam cup and I saw a little bit of green poking up out of the dirt. 
And the next day, I saw a little bit more and a little bit more. And eventually, this little bean sprout that I had planted in the dirt sprouted slowly, but inevitably, there was growth. You know, when spiritual growth happens very slowly in our lives, I think it can be natural for us to become cynical. We can look at our problems and say, well, I'm never going to grow, and we give up on ourselves. I'm never going to grow. I'm never going to change. I'm always going to be this way. I was born this way. It's genetic. It's hereditary. It's my identity. Therefore, I am always going to struggle with this sin. it's It's just who I am. Sometimes when growth is slow, we tend to give up on other people. We look at our friends and family members and we see their problems and we think, there's no way that person's ever going to change. That's just who they are. They're never getting over it. They're never going to improve their personality or be responsible or do whatever we hope it is that they would do. Why even bother? Why bother caring? Why bother praying? It's She's never going to change. He's never going to be different. How often do you give up on yourself? How often do you give up on other people? Do you realize that when you're doing that, what you're actually doing is giving up on God? You're saying, God can't change this person, and God can't change me. Yeah, sure, God parted the Red Sea, and sure, God did some miracles over the years, raised Jesus from the dead, that was a pretty big one, but this problem that I have is much too big for God. Really? (laughs) Any problem that we have is too big for God? Any change that we desire in our own lives or in the lives of other people That fruitfulness is beyond the power of God? Not at all. Absolutely not. Let me encourage you not to give up on the power of God. Let me encourage you not to give up on the power of the Holy Spirit. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. That is absolutely true. But with Jesus, if we are in the vine, we can grow And we can change. And not only can we grow and change, we will grow and change. And so maybe the person who needs to change, whether it's you or someone else, needs less of your advice and less of your condemnation and less of your haranguing and less of your urging and more of Jesus. Verse 5, I am the vine You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. But, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Do you want to be more patient? Do you want to be more loving? Do you want to be more courageous? Do you want to be more holy? Ask him. Ask him to produce the fruit of the Spirit in you, and he will. He can and he will. Change happens gradually, organically, not mechanically, but inevitably. So don't give up on God, and don't give up on other people, and don't give up on yourself. Living things grow. Second big idea, we grow By abiding in Jesus. Verse 4. 
abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So, all right, what does that mean? What does it mean to abide in Jesus? How do we abide in him? Well, maybe some of your translations, if you're reading this in your own Bible, say remain in me or or live in me. One commentator I read this week translates this, depend on me. I think all those are great translations. But given the idea, the metaphor of the vine and the branches, I think what Jesus is saying is this. I have engrafted you into the true and living vine by my grace. Through faith in me, you are part of me. You are united to Jesus Christ. Now, in light of that, your calling in response to my grace is to continue to draw life from me. From me and my gospel every single day. So how do we do that? How do we draw life from Jesus? How does his life become our life? Well, I think Jesus gives us three very practical strategies in this passage. First, in verse 7, Jesus says that we need to abide in his word. We have to abide in his word. If you are struggling with sin, if you feel like you're stagnant, you're not growing, you're not changing, you need to read your Bible. And you need to read it not just for information or or even inspiration. You need to read it for transformation. You need to read God's Word and ask God to make the promises of His Word real in your life. Ask God to change you and move you and make you more like his son, Jesus Christ. Meditate on the Bible. Chew on it. Digest it. Memorize it. Pray it back to him. An old pastor, Charles Spurgeon, once said, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Abide in his word. Second, verse 10, Jesus says that we're to abide in his love. We grow and we change, not only as we meditate on God's word in some general sense, but specifically as we meditate on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just think about the good news and how good it really is. God sees all of our sin, all of our guilt. He sees us as enemies, as rebels against him, but he does not condemn us in our sin. He doesn't respond in kind. He doesn't say, you have sinned against me, therefore I will annihilate you. I will reduce your cities to rubble. I will take what you have done and turn it back against you. Instead, he says, I will turn my son into rubble. I will come down in the flesh. I will become one of you, one of my enemies. And I will do so not to condemn you, but to save you. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And because he has done this for us, 
we not only have everlasting life, life beyond the veil, life awaiting for us in the life to come beyond death, we also begin to have abundant life here and now, a life of joy and laughter and celebration, peace, strength, security, abundant life that begins right here and right now. I think so many of my own struggles and so many of my own stagnations can be traced back to unbelief. An unwillingness to believe that God is who he says that he is and that I am who he says that I am, not because of me, but because of Jesus Think of everything the Bible says that you are. If you are in the vine, if you believe in Jesus, you have been justified, past tense. When Jesus looks at you, sees you, he sees uh, you clothed in his perfect righteousness. You are being sanctified. God the Holy Spirit is making you more like Jesus each and every day, and someday you will be glorified. Not only will you see Jesus face to face in the glory of his holiness, you will become like him as you see him face to face. Someday the whole world, this world that is marked by violence and strife and war, will be made whole again. That is the promise that you have if you are abiding in Jesus, if your life is in the vine. We change when we believe the good news that Jesus loves us, and nothing will ever separate us From his love, his love never changes. His love is all we need. That's good news. How often do you meditate on that? How often do you preach that gospel to yourself? How often do you allow other people to preach that gospel to you? My friends, My brothers and sisters, abide in his love. Let that be the air that you breathe. Third thing, verse 11, Jesus says that we are to abide in his joy. We grow and we change as we experience the joy of our salvation. Are you experiencing the joy of your salvation? If not, why not? What is keeping you from abiding in his joy? Maybe, just maybe, your Christianity needs a little less me and a little more we. So I think it's hard to experience the joy of your salvation when you're all alone. Just think about it in purely human terms. If someone asks you, hey, how was your birthday party? Has anyone ever said, great, nobody came? I was all alone. That's when I really experienced the most joy. Now, I know some of you are a little bit introverted, but come on. Even the introverts, you have to be around other people in order to experience the joy, which is why we come together every single week to sing and to pray and have fellowship with one another. I've never seen a vine with only one branch. Have you? 
Now again, I'm not a botanist. I don't think that's a thing. I think whenever you have a vine, if there's one branch, there's two branches, and if there's two, there's three, and so on and so forth. So if you think that I can abide in Jesus without the Bible, without the gospel, without the church, I think you're kidding yourself. I think we grow and we change and we need all three. The Bible, the gospel, and the church. All right, third big idea, last one. We'll close with this one. We grow when God prunes us. Verse one, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it would produce more fruit. Now, this is a hard truth, but it's an important truth. Ultimately, there is no growth in Christ without pruning. There is no growth in Christ without suffering. Each one of us comes under the knife sometimes. We all experience heartache and pain and sorrow and loss. And the thing is that those, those experiences that we experience do not automatically make us stronger. Whoever said whatever doesn't kill us, make us makes us stronger was not correct. There are many times when we suffer where we don't become stronger, we become weaker. We become angry, we become bitter, we become cynical. It doesn't automatically work that way. But here is what Jesus says, with me, it does work that way. When you're in me, the things that hurt you actually do make you stronger. Why? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. When God cuts on us, he doesn't do it like like someone just hacking away blindly. He does it like a vine dresser. He does it like a surgeon, taking away the things that need to be taken away from us so that we can grow back stronger than we were before. Now, that's not to say that the pruning doesn't hurt. It does. It absolutely does. Pruning is never a fun experience while it is happening. But Jesus says, Trust the vine dresser. Trust God. He knows what he's doing. And he wants you to grow in ways that you didn't even think you were capable of growing. Every year, a couple of times a year, I prune my trees. And every time I prune the trees, I look at what I have done, and I think to myself, this is a disaster. This is a massacre. I've gone too far this time. There's no way that these bushes are ever coming back. I've ruined them. It's over. And every year, the trees come back. And not only do they come back, they come back more fruitful and stronger than they were before. God works the same way. When he's pruning us, it can feel like a massacre. It can feel like, God, okay, I know you're pruning me, but man, I think, you, I think you went too far. I think this is too much. This is too much suffering. This is too much heartache. This is too much loss. I, I can't bear this. I'm never coming back. Now again, it's a totally legitimate thing to feel that way. Job felt that way, and God put his story in the Bible. 
So it's, it's not to say that we're not Stoics who pretend like nothing bothers us and nothing hurts us, not at all. But we know this, that when God the Father prunes us, he's taking away things in our life that sap our spiritual vitality and strength so that we can come back stronger than we ever were before. Here's how the writer of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews chapter 12. He writes, verse 11, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. All pruning seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Jesus is the vine. And we are the branches. When we're in him, we grow, we change. In him, we live fruitful lives. When we're in him, we bear so much fruit that we simply have to give it away to other people. Now, if you're not in him, there's a warning here. There is no life apart from Jesus, but there's also a promise here. There is life in Jesus everlasting, abundant life in the vine. In him, you can become the hero that you always wanted to be. In him, you can grow and change in ways that you never thought possible without him. It's all about your relationship to the vine. And so I ask in closing, are you in him? Is he in you. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have engrafted us into Christ. We are by nature completely unworthy of your grace, and so we praise you and thank you for it in the name of your Son, who gives us everlasting and abundant life by the power of your Holy Spirit. Apply the gospel to our hearts that we may no longer be dry and dead and lifeless, but that we might be so alive, more alive, that the world sees and wonders at the glory of your grace. Hear our prayer, for we pray in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.